thank you for Jer- to Jeremiah for uh, standing in for Trey while he's away. Trey will be here next Sunday. They get back Saturday uh, from Uganda, and uh, I tried to get him to stay away, but here's what he says. He says he'll be awake anyway, might as well come to church, and so <laughs> we'll see if that holds true or not. Um, when I got back from Uganda, I could have slept for days. It didn't matter if my days or nights, whatever. I was ready to sleep, and I did so. But, um, but he'll be back with us. Jeremiah, thank you for leading and for your heart, for your skill. Jeremiah has a beautiful voice. I uh, just love to worship under your leadership, and thanks to all our musicians today. Uh, real quick, aren't you thankful uh, that we have a Savior who is worthy of all the glory, like we just sang, and all the honor, amen? All our hope is in Jesus. I sense already the encroachment of the political season, don't you? South Carolina, right? I mean, yesterday, we, we, we hear about it, we talk about it, you turn on the radio, the news, it's all there is to hear is about what's happening and who's happening and all of this. But I hope uh, that you have a real, a, a, an actual sense in your heart that our hope lies in Christ alone, that he is our security and our future, and that the hope of nations really is the hope even of this nation, that whatever happens out there or March or November, whatever goes on, not only in our country, but even in the storms of our lives, Jesus is an anchor that always holds. And so praise God this morning, we've been able to sing that. I want to mention our Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, if you missed the first, <clears throat> excuse me, the first one last week, uh, it's a brand new series and you missed out big time, but it's not too late uh, to start up with us. We have 11 weeks left. This is not 11, but we have 11 weeks uh, left uh, of our study of the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John and, and then to the churches of all time. Um, fascinating. I knew it was going to be good because uh, Gary Jarnigan is leading it, but I did not know how good. Uh, it, it was like they say, drinking from a, a fire hydrant and scribbling notes just as fast as you can. Clear, understandable. I mean, just you'll walk away from this study with a real grasp of what the future holds and what God plans for his end times and his plan of Christ's return and the final redemption of his church. And so come out and be with us 615 Wednesday nights, and uh, you'll even know more after this study about uh, how, how much so Jesus is our only hope. Turn, if you will, to the book of Jonah in your Bibles. <clears throat> Jonah is in the Old Testament, <clears throat> um, a, little, you know, a little ways into the Old Testament. Turn to the book of Jonah. <clears throat> you'll find it there. Look in your table of contents if you need to. And don't be afraid to just get there. You're going to want to lay your eyes on your Bible today. There wasn't enough room on the screen to put the references for each point entirely. And so you want to have that in front of you to be able to look at yourself, okay? It's always good to have your copy of God's Word. If that's on a device, that's fine. Uh, Don't worry about that. If you don't have a Bible Today, these words will be on the screen, most of them. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you to have and a treasure. And so we have those at no cost 
on the table as you leave today that you can't miss them. And if you have that need in your life, uh, we want you to take one of those. It's, it's a gift from our heart to yours. One of the kids in the back was bragging to one of their friends who's here for the first time today that we got free Bibles here, okay? <laughs> she said, that's not true. Those aren't free. He said, yes, they are. Um, that's something I'm glad that we can brag about, right, that our kids know, even though Fletcher makes fun of me over it. But um, Jonah, Jonah is kind of a rotten guy, isn't he? Jonah is a prophet that's, that uh, we would not esteem. It's a, 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 not an example of what a prophet ought to be and if we if we got really plain spoken with it we'd say Jonah's kind of a low life he is uh, he is kind of a low life it astonishes it ought to astonish us uh, his unrepentant heart uh, he, uh, he carries on and on and today we're going to look at an astonishing amazing shocking dialogue between Jonah and Almighty God. And the things that Jonah says are supposed to be the things that we don't say. But Jonah says them right out loud. We get an eye-opening glimpse of God's shocking love as we look at this. It's a next level. Love on another level we're going to see today. How faithful God is with the Ninevites. How his grace has extended to them in ways they don't deserve but how he faithfully, lovingly stands by Jonah when Jonah truly is the worst. I was at the car wash this week. Uh, I've been trying to keep busy, and we've been, I took all three cars to get them washed down at the little Bolt car wash in Oakwood. We had some coupons to go there, and so I took them down there, and uh, the lady at, with one of them said, hey, uh, drive over here for just a minute. You're, fin you're finished here, but... Uh, drive right over here and park in this section for a minute. I'd never been there before, so I drove over there, parked next to a beautiful Mercedes. I mean, just gleaming pearl white. The door was open, leathers, leather seats. It just beckoned me to come over and get in. When I did, they were not happy about it at all. Uh, but I did not get in, but I did notice that on my car, they used, they had a little uh, spray bottle hung on their pocket with blue inside, just a spray bottle, just windows, right? With this car, they had foam, a foam window clean, nice window cleaner out of a, a special bottle. With my car, they had Armor All, that's good, Armor All or some type of, type of thing, but this car, they had like a creamy stuff that came out, and they just gently put it over the wheels and the dashboard and on the seats. I thought, who, why do they get that stuff, you know? And I got the the armor all. At one point, the guy got in and sang it a song. Uh, he just, <laughs> he didn't do that, but uh, it was getting the special treatment, you know, that, that's the next level, right? I kind of asked, I said, how, how is, you know, how do you get that? And the guy just kind of looked at me and looked at my car, and he didn't even answer me. He just went on his <laughs> love on another level. And so today, we see even though we have a notion of love, even though we love each other and we love our families and we know what love is, we see God loving Jonah. We see the love of God that he has toward us in a way that really takes us back. See, how in the world can God love <clears throat> like that? An eye-opening glimpse of the shocking way that, Jonah, that God walks with Jonah. And so let's read this together in the last part of chapter 3. 
verse 10, and then we'll go on through chapter 4. The Ninevites have repented. They were evil. They were awful. Verse 10, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented. What does relented mean? He backed off. I wouldn't say he changed his mind, but uh, he did not go through with uh, doing what he had warned them that he would do if they did not repent. He relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it, but it greatly displeased Jonah. What displeased Jonah? That God did not do it. He forgave them. He did not destroy them. He did not pour out judgment upon them. And it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Jonah initiates the conversation. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord. Please what? What is he asking for here? He said, please, Lord, don't do this. Don't relent. They deserve this, God. Wipe them out. Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, what does forestall mean? Forestall means prevent it. In order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew, oh God, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. It almost sounds like Jonah's praising God there, but he's not. He said, that's why I didn't come here. I predicted this way back at the beginning. I knew you were a merciful God, large in loving kindness, and that you were going to show that mercy to these people. He detested these people. For some reason or another, he hated them. He didn't want repentance, even though he had received it in great measure himself. He did not want mercy uh, from God to come upon them. So he prays this prayer and tells God all about it. I knew you're one who relents concerning, concerning calamity. Verse 3, therefore now, O Lord, Yahweh, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. This is how strongly he felt. The Lord said, do you have a good reason to be angry? Maybe in your Bible it says, do you do well to be angry? I kind of like that, the way that's put. Do you do well? Do you have a good reason to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. Silence. Jonah went out then from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself. Your Bible may say a booth. He made some type of crude shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. What's he hoping for still? I mean, he's prayed to God. God, please. He's hoping that by some unlikelihood that he'll be able to sit outside there, the east of the city, in his little booth, his little shelter that he made, and hopefully, maybe he'll get to see what happens, that the Lord is just going to sweep through there, burn them out, destroy them, from the earth. That's, that's Jonah's heart. I don't mean to be unkind toward him. 
God knows I've been a beneficiary of the same mercy that God has shown to Jonah. But he's a rot, he has a rotten heart at this point. So the Bible says he went out there and did this. So the Lord God, verse 6, appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah. Who's still calling the shots here? Who hurled the storm? Remember, the Lord did. Who appointed the great fish? The Lord did. Who, upon Jonah's prayer, caused that fish to spit him out upon to the shore? It was God. God is still wielding the forces of nature, of all creation, to bend to his will, and he's doing it right here. He made a pointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. That's hilarious to me. He was just extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Jonah would not answer God about the people of Nineveh. Do you, have, or do, you do well to be angry? He wouldn't even answer. <clears throat> so God creates this scenario, poses the question again, God will be answered. Do you have good reason to be angry now about the plant? Jonah said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And I can imagine that Jonah did not act, uh, answer this in a monotone. I have good reason to be angry. I, 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 don't you believe that by this moment it's built up in him and the plant just pushed him over the edge and Jonah, I imagine him shouting at God, yes, righteous anger. And he feels justified in this. I have good reason to be angry, even to death. Then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals. Maybe your Bible says cattle, as well as many cattle. What a bizarre story. What do we make of this? I think we can see at least three looks at God's heart of compassion through this episode with Jonah. The first is this, God's presence in Jonah's rebellion. It amazes me that as rebellious and awful as, John, as Jonah is, God is present with him. His, his companionship is there with Jonah. Look what happens here. Jonah prays a prayer here, a really sweet prayer, isn't it? We need to teach that to our grandkids, you know. Uh, this prayer is awful. He prays this, prays this prayer that's frighteningly revealing, and there are several problems with it. Let's go through this together. I want us to take a look at this prayer. First of all, what's wrong with the prayer? It's hypocritical. Jonah had received great mercy from God, but wanted it denied to other people. That is dangerously wrong. 
when we fail to realize the great mercy we have received from God, but we want it withheld from others. He was a hypocrite. There was a reversal of his repentance here. He goes back on what he had said. Remember, he said, salvation belongs to the Lord. You save whoever you will, God. Salvation belongs to you. But now he no longer believes that. He's no longer obeying. He's reversed to his old self. Jonah takes the place of God here as well. The, the words I and me are used nine times in this prayer. Jonah thinks he knows better than God. He's going to instruct God about what he should have done, what he should have done better. Job 40 says this, though. You've heard this before. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? It says, it says who are you to answer back to me? Romans eleven thirty four says this. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Which of us in here today, which human being in all creation uh, is strong enough and wise enough to stand before the Almighty and to find fault with him, to deliver a dagger of accusation into his ribs? Which one of us is wise enough to stand before God and to say, we have the mind of God, we know the mind of God, let us give you counsel Lord, so that you may know what is the right thing to do. If you want to read Isaiah 40, a large part of Isaiah 40, verses 12 through 26, it is an awesome unpacking of this same type of sentiment. We are not worthy to tell God what to do. But the last part of this is probably the most dangerous, this awful prayer, is that Jonah personally, directly opposes the known will of God he knew what God wanted God had said so God had sent him he rebelled against it God rescued him and brought him back he knew what God wanted and he's telling God Lord I personally oppose what you want your will your wisdom I think it is wrong I'm I, I'm the one who ought to be telling you there's a stubbornness here when Reese was a little baby Reese is the only one here with me today he was a little baby in a high chair he wore a bib you know how they do wore a little bib and sat there in that high chair we taught all the kids how to say a few things with sign language before they were verbal and one thing we taught them is how to say please right and I don't even know actually but I think uh Please has something to do with you just, somebody show me please. Anybody? Yeah, something like this, something like this, okay. So we taught the kids how to say please before they could speak. And he was sitting in his high chair. He, know, he knew how to do it. I remember one night in Chattanooga, there he sat and he was ready to get down. He finished eating and Eric said, all right, say please. He reached up to start to do it. And then you could see in his eyes just a deadness come, right? And he looked at his mom and he lowered his hand and he just sat there. She said, you have to say please to, to get down. Listen, he would not do it. It went on for an hour or more, right? I thought we're abusive people now. You know, he, he's sitting in that chair. He will not say please. I thought one of this, a battle of the wills is happening here. The, the, the interesting thing, though, is I've known Erica's will longer than he knew her will, right? <laughs> Erica won because finally, in the very end, he reached up and said please to get down there's a stubbornness isn't there but it's a knowing stubbornness with Jonah 
It was a knowing stubbornness that night in that high chair. Uh, Jonah says, I know what's expected. I know what you want. And God, I don't care about what you say. That's the danger in the prayer of Jonah. God is present with him even through that nastiness. We look at this and we are appalled. But when we examine our own hearts, it's not hard to find this same kind of attitude lurking and lingering, especially where it relates to the area of, like Jonah faced, unforgiveness. It is not easy for us to forgive wrongs that have been done to us, to look upon somebody with compassion that has wounded us. Ask yourself today, what areas of my life have I encapsulated off from the will of God and said, no, this belongs to me? It could be a, a sinful indulgence. It could be a habit. It could be an attitude, it could be a, a sphere of social circle with friends or with colleagues that you've given yourselves to and been shaped by. Uh, it could be most profoundly an unforgiveness in your heart. Somebody has hurt you and the hurt is real. We're not washing that away. The pain is there. The guilt is assigned to them. They did wrong. You're the one who's been afflicted by this. They're guilty. They deserve justice. And God says, listen, I've forgiven you much. You forgive them. It's time for Jonah and it's time for us to get out of God's seat. He calls the shots. And God stands with Jonah in compassion right through all of this. But second. We see God's patience in Jonah's resentments. God's patience in Jonah's resentment. There is a patient teaching moment that unfolds here. God could have just killed Jonah, right? And he would have been justified in just killing him. Jonah was out there looking for destruction. He, was, he had an awful heart. He wanted this destruction to come. And God decides in his wisdom to give him a taste of exactly what he wanted. What did he want? He wanted destruction. And so God brings up a plant and says, I'm going to see if this is what you really want. I'm going to show you this here. I'm going to destroy this plant and see if you really, really understand what's going on here. We were get, bidding farewell to the mission team the other day, and Jackson was here, and Reese was here, and Olivia, and uh, they were all gathered up. And actually, this happened when we were still in the car before we got out, just we were kind of conveying blessings and uh, telling him you know, last words and telling Jackson and we loved him and we're proud of him and uh, all these special moments of seriousness and you know, Reese spoke up and uh, he said, um, Jackson, I hope you don't get slurped up by an anteater, right? <laughs> Leave it to an 11-year-old, right, to, uh, to come up with something profound for a special, uh, <laughs> for a special moment. But Jonah really did. Jonah really did hope that they would get slurped up by an anteater. Jonah really did hope that, they, that the worst would come to them. And so God says, okay, buddy, if you want the worst, let me show you what that looks like on a small scale and see if you really know for what you are asking here. And so we see an astonishing patience of God in contrast to Jonah's own attitude Jonah wants destruction and immediate destruction. He wants a mercilessness. And God is still 
teaching and loving him in mercy. A huge contrast to what's happening here between the attitude of Jonah and the heart of God. It is supposed to shock and disgust us that at the same time that God's patience has gone into double overtime with Jonah, that Jonah himself refuses to show even an ounce of mercy to these people who have genuinely repented. That, that's pretty low, isn't it? God, you've shown me great mercy, and, and, and Lord, I don't want them to have any of it. It's an awful, an awful place to be, but God stands with Jonah in patience through this whole situation. What a loving God. What an amazing next-level love. But lastly, God's perspective in Jonah's rejection. God's perspective in Jonah's rejection. Jonah lashes out at this point. He refuses to answer before, but now the plant has pushed him over the limit, and he lunges back at God and shouts at him and tells him that, yes, he's got a reason to be angry, even to be angry unto death. And God uses this anger to relate to Jonah in four ways. I want you to see this together. It's amazing how God, through this, still reasons with Jonah. Jonah has just lashed out at him and just shouted back at him, and Jonah, God patiently walks with him through this. There are four parts. This is a bizarre section of Scripture, but there are four parts to it that make sense to us if we look at them together. Here's what God is saying. You invested nothing in the plant, but I am fully invested in my human creatures. This is a plant that you didn't cause to grow up. You did nothing to get it. You have no uh, uh, contribution to it. But I'm fully invested in my human creatures. If you're so mad about the plant, how much more so should I as creator, designer, purposer, lover, and ultimately savior, uh, how much more so should I care about the Ninevites? Secondly, Jonah, you had the plant for only an instant. It grew up overnight and it died overnight. You had it just for only an instant, but I have cherished the Ninevites for a long time. Your plan is of little value and consequence. It's a plant, after all, isn't it? But there are 120,000 soul-bearing lives in Nineveh. I mean, we're talking kids and babies. We're talking senior, senior ladies in their rocking chair. We're, we're talking men and women with families. There's all of this in Nineveh. I was in the nursery this morning and uh, got to hold baby Finn uh, for, a little, for a long time. It was awesome. I walked around with him and tried some of my old tricks, you know, that used to work for me uh, and, and to get him to stop crying. And they worked again. I was very proud of myself. I held him. He looks right at your little face. You know, you talk to him. He'll start to grin a little bit. I walked around that room until he did something that was unwelcome, and I just gave, gave, him, back to the, <laughs> gave him back to the nursery ladies. You look at a little baby, you don't have to be a genius to get, there's a preciousness here, right? Uh, the, 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 this is an image bearer of God. No matter if you're an awful Ninevite, a pagan child sacrifice or whatever, uh, that, that we are image bearers of God. Not perfectly, not fully, we're not omnipotent. We're not all of these things, but we bear the image of the character of God. There is a value there in human life. 
and, he, and God uses this lovingly, like spoon-feeding a child here, a rebellious, awful child who should have known better, who has defied the Almighty twice at least. The Lord is with him and lovingly teaching him. Jonah, you were mad about that plant? I want to get you there. I know you don't deserve it. I know I probably deserve to kill you. Uh, I know your heart is deep in the darkness of sin. Jonah, I know you know better. But he's there with him, loving him. What grace, friend, for you and me. What, what love we have from God. And he's teaching him these things. That plant was of little value. It was a plant, a vine of some kind. It was nothing. There's 120,000 creatures of mine that I love in Nineveh. Should I not love them like you love that pitiful little plant? You defied me, Jonah. You defied me with great knowledge. But these Ninevites don't know their right hand from their left hand spiritually. They're spiritually ignorant. They have somewhat of a, a, a little bit more grace afforded to them than you because you know the oracles of God. You know the history of salvation. You know the deliverance of my mighty hand. These people in Nineveh, they don't know their right hand from their left hand. And you defied me with great knowledge and I showed you mercy. And they have no knowledge of me and you want mercy denied. See God here just helping him helping him get there, helping him get along. You can't just do whatever you want to with the people that God loves. You can't just take a segment of people or someone in your life that you just hate. Oh, you hate them with good reason. And if you told everybody, they would think the reason was good too. But you can't take someone that God values and treasures and just treat them however you want to. That's ungodly. It's unchristian. And so Jonah is in this very scenario. And God points this right out to him. My office and my car, all this stuff, I try to keep clean. I'm not a neat freak, I don't think. But I try to stay neat in the office and one day we had a fellowship meal here, and my kids decided to take the fellowship food, go to my office, and eat it in there. I went in there Monday morning after that Sunday night fellowship, and it looked like a barnyard feast had happened in there. Somebody had spilled lemonade on the floor and on my little plastic mat that my chair sits on, there's sticky footprints all over it, Pringle crumbs of Pringles all over the place. I sat down to my keyboard, it was like concreted. Someone had spilled their whole lemonade on the keyboard. I tried to push down the S, it's like, I had to mash it away. I mean, the keyboard was, was ruined. And I went home to that day and we had a convo, a conversation, didn't we, right? Uh, you, you know, try to keep your space clean. This is my space. You can go in it and you can look around and you can see how things are kept in order. You can't just treat that however you want. We cannot go into God's space and just make it our own and do with it as we please. Once we know how God treasures his creatures 
And we know it all the more now in light of the cross, don't we? Once we know how God treasures his creatures, what standing do we have to treat them however we want? I know that's hard. I know it's not easy to forgive. I know there are deep, awful things that happen in this life. But we don't get the chance to do whatever we want with those that that God loves. Bitterness, resentfulness, vengefulness, these are all acts of trampling upon what God has said that he treasures. And we may say, hey, they're not acting like a treasure. This person in my life, they're still doing wrong. They're still out there. They're not acting like a treasure at all. But neither were the Ninevites. They weren't acting like treasures. And neither, friend, were you when God found you and swooped down to redeem you. Neither was I when God found me. These are not ours to do with as we please. Neither were we. We were in the same situation. There's a quote here I've got by Corey Ten Boom. She was a concentration camp prisoner of the Nazi regime in World War II. She was there because she had been sneaking Jews out of, the, um, out of Germany, out of that area to, to get to safety. She wrote the book, The Hiding Place. And there's a song by that same name. You probably know her story. She was mistreated in that concentration camp. She saw and experienced awful things that only a young girl in a concentration camp could. And in the end, she ended up coming to a place of forgiveness for her captors and her abusers. And here's what she had to say about forgiving one another. She said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and to discover the prisoner was you. Listen, forgiving somebody, it doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't deny the awful things that happened. It doesn't restore all things. It doesn't restore trust all the way. It doesn't restore relationships fully. Here's what forgiveness does accomplish when we forgive others. It accomplishes releasing someone from their debt and releasing yourself from being the debt collector. There is a freedom in forgiveness when we turn those things over. And we struggle to forgive. We struggle to desire God's fullness, to desire those people to turn to repentance, that there would be healing between us and them and the Lord. Is all trust restored? No, probably not. Is all relationship restored? No, probably not. Is every scar tissue just wiped away? No, probably not. But forgiveness releases us when we turn it over to God. God wants us to forgive. The love that the Lord shows to Jonah, I don't even like. Jonah deserves to be smacked in the face. (laughs) He does. And we see God astonish us by standing with him. First section of chapter 4, the second section of chapter 4, the third section of chapter 4. He never walks away. He never writes him off. He's never done with his person. Don't you be done either. Don't do it. 
Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to your testimony. Don't do it to your reflection of the character of God. God's compassion for us is meant to produce his compassion in us. And if you won't get there, I don't know what to say. If you won't get there, I would just pray that God brings you to that point when you step out of that role for being an active rebellion against him and come to terms with all the goodness that he has showered upon you. It's our job to shower it on others. Are we living with this next level love? Let me pray for us.